Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. How are you all? How is 2022? (laughs) Seriously, I don't think any of us have recovered from the last three years yet. Thank God for thought work. So I have a couple of important things to tell you. The first one is, if you want to hear the story of the worst date I ever went on, then you will need to listen to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I was just revisiting this conversation, which was such a joy. I recorded it quite a while ago on the 51 First Dates podcast, and we never shared it with all of you. So we are doing that today, and it's all about confidence and insecurity, which are obviously topics that apply to anyone, not just someone who's dating. But I do also tell the story of the worst first date I ever went on, which I just died laughing even thinking about it again. What a time in my life. (laughs) So let's talk about insecurity from the coaching perspective. (laughs) I am so excited for you to listen to my conversation with the hosts of the 51 First Dates podcast. We really get into what is going on in our brains when we are comparing and despairing and when we are feeling insecure about dating or our love life or anything else. And don't worry, we get to the story of my worst first date pretty early in the interview. So enjoy. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And this is a podcast called 51 First Dates. Yay. And we are joined today by Cara Lowenthal. Cara's a master coach. She's the host of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast. And she's the creator of the Unfuck Your Brain, um, a feminist blueprint for creating confidence. We are very, thank you, Cara, for being here. We're so, so lucky to have you here today, and we're really excited to chat. I'm excited to be here. So let's give everybody, all the listeners out there, uh, just (laughs) a quick rundown of what, where we are in 51 First Dates land, because we're in a summer vibe of 51 First Dates. If you haven't been listening, then uh, we should tell you that Kimmy just moved to LA, so we're on two sides of the country right now, which is very exciting. And sad, but also great. It's really nice it's here. Exciting. <laughs> um, and we are, as most of you guys know, Kimmy has, do you want to like, like say this part? I know. So let's just go the quick, very, very, very briefly. You probably turned into this, into this podcast thinking, Oh, hey, this girl's going on a date every week. I'd love to hear it. And maybe I'll listen to the most recent episode. Here's the spoiler. Um, I'm not going on dates anymore because I met someone. So you can go back and listen from the beginning if you don't want it to be spoiled. Um, if you're a listener, thank you for continuing to listen as we figure out who our next dater is going to be. I think we're going to have a couple different daters so that we can expand our horizons a bit, not just, you know, single white female that I was. Um, and yeah, thanks for bearing with us. This, that was really ineloquent, but I, I said it. I think you did great. And yeah, so so go back to the beginning, listen to Kimmy's whole journey. By the time you catch up, we're going to be coming at you with some new daters. But actually, don't do it now because you should listen to this episode with Kara first because she's here. And she and I and Kimmy are going to be talking about confidence slash insecurities as it relates yes. to dating. And just before we – Kara, I promise we'll let you talk soon. But I just think <laughs> this is kind of a perfect transition because if you – if you end up going back to the beginning of the podcast at the end of this little episode here, um, 
you'll see that I could have really used a lot of what Kara works with her mentees, but I call them no. Students. Clients or students. Clients. Way. Clients or students. Mentees. I'm sorry. I'm at <laughs> business school right now, so clearly in that mindset. Um, with her students on, I could have used that at the beginning of this experience. I could still use it. Let's just be real. But anyway. Um, I mean, I'm so excited to talk about this topic with you because – I think that every question that we get from any listener, every topic we talk talk about ultimately boils down to confidence and insecurities. And like it, it we haven't done an episode on it yet. So this is mm-hmm. a long time coming and I think really applicable for just everyone in the world. Yeah, I think it's the root of most women's issues with most things, but especially dating. Yeah. And then like men could maybe use a little bit more insecurities um (laughs) meet in the middle yeah just like somewhere uh but before we do that uh we love to ask all of our guests to share a worst first date story do you have any particular shitty dates you want to (laughs) recap i don't have any thankfully i've been lucky that were like traumatizing but i did once go on this date with a guy who was he was like 45 and seemed like a grown up in all the ways he should. He like ran a magazine. He had a kid, like should be a functional human being. And I went to the bathroom on the date and I came back and he was like in another corner of the bar petting this dog and talking to this old guy. And I was like, okay. So I like sat down at the table. I figured he went to get, a, he was like next to the bar. I figured he went to get a drink and come back. And, like five minutes go by. And then like 10 minutes go by. And I was like, okay, maybe he's, like, kind of stuck there. Like, it's awkward. Like, maybe I should go over and, like, rescue him. So I go over and I'm like, hey, <laughs> like, remember me? The person you're on a date with. So I go over there and, like, make small talk with them for a minute. And then I'm kind of like, okay, should we, like, go back? You know? And he sort of, like, is kind of like, oh, I'll be there in a minute. Like, <laughs> he's still <laughs> talking to the guy and the dog. So I go back to the table. And then about five minutes after that, I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to go. So I started getting up to leave and he comes back and he sits down. So I sit back down and then we start having a conversation about like whether or not this was weird, which like obviously it was weird. Yeah. So anyway, but we disagree about whether it was weird. And then I'm, he starts getting kind of hostile and I was like, okay, I'm going to like, I'm leaving. Right. So I start to get up. I'm like, I'm going to go. It's obviously not a productive conversation. Like we're clearly not going on a second date at this point. Like this is over. <laughs> and he jumps up and yells, I'm leaving first and runs out of the bar. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Wait, I didn't. I mean, that is worse than we were like. I don't have anything terrible. Like that's that's pretty bad. Like, cool. Um, glad you're an actual toddler who got distracted by a dog and then, and then like ran away. had to leave first. <laughs> the bartender brought me a shot though. He was he was like, <laughs> I've never good. seen that happen oh. before, and I was like, yeah. Thank God for good bartenders. Right. My, I cannot imagine what my bartenders think. I definitely went through a period of going on a million first dates before I met my partner. And I'm sure they're just like, oh, it's Thursday. She's back wearing one of those same <laughs> two dresses with a different guy. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Thursday's the I, best date day, though. Yeah, I feel like they know everything. It's like you have your bar, you take all your first dates to, and you know the bartenders are like, what is this, 37? What is this woman doing? <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I relate to that so much. I feel like I had a couple date outfits and I like kind of loved going on a lot of first dates because I didn't have to think about like, you know, after five dates with someone, you got to start like figuring out what else you're going to wear. But new dates was great. I could wear the same things. Um, and also the same thing about a bar. Like we tried to switch up the bars for the, the purpose of our listeners, like mm-hmm. each week so we could talk about a new place. But like in my life, I love going to the same bars over and over. And I know 
that I did on like second or third dates over mm-hmm. the course of this podcast. And I know some bartenders saw me like, how many people is she dating? Well, but I kind of yeah. feel okay about that just because I feel like men in New York do that a lot. So I feel a little empowered. But we're for sure not the only ones. My yeah. Also, my neighborhood bar is full of like guys in their 70s with their dogs. Like those are the regulars. <laughs> so I just feel like it's not just the bartender. It's like all these old dudes are probably like, what do you think about that one? You <laughs> think she's she going to be back for a sec? Like I maybe they had like a betting pool going. Oh my God. That's incredible. So wait, what was – just just to go back to the dog one last moment, did, did he have an explanation of why he got really involved with this, like, He thought this was a dog. totally normal thing to do. It was, like, did not merit an explanation. He was being nice. He was being nice to the dog. Huh. Yeah, I love that he wanted to be nice to the dog. Right, the dog. Not the person yeah. he was on the date with, but yeah. the dog. Let's worry about this dog who's a stranger. Yeah. I think that's second only to I once went on a date with a guy who disclosed on the date that not only did he have a partner, they were in an open relationship, but okay, normally you want to disclose that before you go on the date, but also she was about to give birth the next week. The next week? The next week. And I was like, no, you need to go home. It's interesting that he ended up disclosing it, but once you were already there, like that feels like weirdly passive aggressive or I don't like that. I did not like it either. (laughs) <laughs> you're not alone. Oh I mean, also, like, and I know that, like, people in open relationships, like, I'm not trying to shit in open relationships because I think that, like, if whatever works for you works for you and it's great. But that's not like, how it works. I have been in non-monogamous relationships. You don't wait until you're on the date to be not only, totally. like, that's I have a partner cool. and she's giving birth in six days. Well, that's my thing. Is if I was that woman, it's like, I don't, it's great. It's, like, obviously she's part of the open relationship, too. I'm not trying to, like, take away her autonomy. But, like, don't fucking leave my side if I'm right. within a week of giving birth. I'm what right. if I get, like, go into labor? Okay. Ugh. No. There was, there's someone <laughs> joining my business school class from Japan who wasn't there on the first day of orientation, and we were told it's because his wife had just had twins. So he, but he's moving here, and she's not moving here. And, like, no shade to this dude in my class who probably will not, never listen to this, but I was like, Come on. And there was like a faculty member making kind of almost like a joke about it. I was like, God, I have a lot of us women. Yeah. I had some law school experiences that reminded me of that. There was a guy who sat in front of me and like torts or criminal law my first year. And he, they had five children, he and his wife. And he was like tan and fed and would like hang out on campus to play basketball and blah, blah, blah. And then every photo she looked like she was like recovering from tuberculosis with five children hanging off of her. Like she just looked like just just like frail and exhausted all the time. And I was like, yeah, of course, because she's trying to raise five children and you are like hanging out to play basketball. Oh my God. After school. But go home and help your wife. Well, speaking of that, because I didn't know you went to law school. Oh yeah. So tell us about like all of the really cool things you did. But also you do, <laughs> but also like how you got there. So just that small, yeah. very specific question. Well, I that? think it's it's every Jewish parent's dream. You know, your daughter goes to Harvard Law School, and then she clerks on a federal appeals court, and then she does a litigation fellowship, and then she gets an academic fellowship, so she can become a law professor, and then she quits and becomes a life coach. Damn. So that's what I did. <laughs> it was the best decision I ever made. That's incredible. My parents have mostly recovered. <laughs> Um, it's been two, three years since they heard the news and two years since it happened. So they've had some time to okay. adapt. Um, yeah, I used to be, uh, I've like been a professional feminist one way or another my whole life. So I was a, um, I worked at Planned Parenthood and then I went to law school to do reproductive rights work. And then 
I did reproductive rights work. I litigated. Uh, I hated all of this the whole time <laughs> because I did not know how to manage my mind at all, which is now what I teach people to do. So I did the thing that I think a lot of accomplished women do, which is like, you just think like, oh, I get to the next thing then I'm going to feel confident and happy. So like, mm. okay, well, sure. Everyone hates law school, but then you get this clerkship, like then you're going to feel good about yourself. Okay. You got this clerkship. You still don't feel good about yourself. You still don't feel confident. Okay. What if I get this thing? So that's like, you got, I got like the only fellowship in reproductive rights law in the country in my year. And then like, shockingly, that didn't change my brain or my self-esteem. And then I thought I hated litigation because of litigation. So I went in academia and that was around the time that I switched to academia I was working, I was still working on reproductive rights and LGBT rights. Um, and like around that time, I found my teacher, the person who taught me kind of cognitive work and how to change my thoughts. And I started doing that work on myself. It just really changed my life. I mean, honestly, I changed my life from listening to her podcast. Um, I listened to her podcast for like a year and used the tools uh, and it totally changed my life. And then I decided I was going to quit the law and become a life coach. And that's what I did. And now um, I I work with high achieving feminist women who are experiencing anxiety and self-doubt who kind of feel like they've like accomplished all the things and gotten all the brass rings. And maybe a lot of them have also even gotten married, had kids, like done all the things you're supposed to do. They still don't feel confident. They still mm. feel like an imposter. They still do a lot of imposter syndrome or feeling fraudulent. Um, and what I really teach women how to do is overcome, I call it like the toxic brew, evolutionary biology and patriarchal conditioning creates a ton of insecurity and kind of self-doubt. And so mm -hmm. I teach women how to overcome that by literally rewiring their brains, changing their thought patterns. So they can produce authentic confidence, which has to come from inside of you, will never come from anything outside of you. No matter how many dates you go on, how many jobs you get, how many gold stars you get, how many people tell you you're great, it's never going to matter. It has to come from inside. Mm. So I teach women how to actually create that. That's so fucking cool. <laughs> I'm I'm always really impressed by people who identify their current trajectories as unhappy and actually change it. Like I feel mm -hmm. like most of my friends complain about their jobs a lot. And it's hard to do, obviously. I'm not trying to shade anyone who doesn't do it. I myself am kind of in that place mm -hmm. right now where I'm like, I don't know, like, do I like not about the podcast, about that's what I do <laughs> but like what do I like doing and then yeah. how can I get more into what I want to be doing and less of what I don't want to be doing and whatever it's very hard to make those changes so when people have said like I am going to light it all on fire and go towards a thing that's like actually brings me joy that's like one of the things that impresses me most in the entire world well I think that's actually a big it, not that it's not, not a misconception but I think that a lot of people get stuck in that place and one of the things that I teach people and that I had to do in my life was you actually can't motivate your, we all think that we can motivate ourselves to make a change by hating where we are. And it really doesn't work because when humans create anxiety or guilt or shame for themselves, we just want to hide. We just like watch Netflix or eat or drink or smoke or take pills. Like we do whatever we can to get away from the feeling. So the way that I actually was able to leave is actually not by hating where I was, but by learning to love where I was and then being able to leave. And that's a lot of what I teach women because I think we are all raised with this social idea that's like, like people just with relationships, right? It's a dating podcast. People like drive their relationships into the ground so mm -hmm. they can have like a reason to leave or they think that focusing on what's wrong 
with a relationship or what's wrong with a partner will like motivate them. Or they think focusing on why they hate being single will motivate them to find a partner. And it really doesn't work. When you think about how much you hate your life being single, you do not become magnetically attractive to other people who are going to want to like hang out with you, right? Mm -hmm. Like it feels terrible. And that's what you give off also. So I think in a funny way, it's actually like the opposite. You have to learn to love the life you have, then you can change it. Listeners, if you hear something weird, we have a little audio problem. So Kimmy's switching to recording on her iPhone. We promise we will smooth out. So yeah. But also Mercury's in retrograde. And also, as Cara just told us, we're making a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Oh my God, that feels so uncomfortable for me to say. I know, right? (laughs) I'm such an apologetic white girl. And and Mercury's in retrograde because it just disconnected and I didn't hear you. But I think, Liza, did you just say yes? yes. Did you just own it? Yes. yes. Okay, good. See, we're being coached all right. She tried to own it, but then she, but then yeah. I was like, ah, this sounds weird. Um, anyway, okay. So okay. let's talk a little bit about uh, insecurity in dating. Like you said, you yeah. work with a lot of women who are, like, really high-powered, really, mm-hmm. like, on serious career tracks. Like, obviously, I think a lot of women in New York are really driven, focused mm-hmm. people who seem on paper like they should be super confident. Um, but how do you find a lot of your um, not clients, <laughs> your coaches? My coaches, they are clients or students is fine. Okay, just all kind of manatees. My manatees. <laughs> um, yeah. So how do you find? Uh, what do you What do you see as like some really common insecurities related yeah. to dating? Oh Lord. I mean everything. I think for I think for a lot of people, dating actually has nothing to do with the other people. They're just like it's like the other person's the all the other people are like a green screen on which people are projecting their own insecurities, and they're just like basically going on a date with their own thoughts about themselves. Mm. Like it's like you don't even they don't even know anything about the other person. So I, it's almost like it'd be easier to answer the question: How is dating not about people's insecurities? Mm. I mean, what I generally find is like. This is true in any area, not just dating. You have ideas about yourself. And then your brain, right, confirmation bias is your brain's tendency to look for evidence to support stories it already has. So your brain um, has something called confirmation bias, which means it's always looking for evidence of stories it already tells itself. So if your story is like, good guys are never into me, or they, guys just want to have sex with me, but they never want to date me, or I can always get to the third date, but then no one wants to go on a fourth date with me. You're always looking for evidence of that, and you're actually creating more and more of that pattern. Right. And so what I see with dating is that people are driven so much by the desire for validation, which is not a criticism of anyone because our whole fucking society tells women that the thing that's the most important in the world is male validation and that being in a romantic relationship is the pinnacle of like life validation, right? Some random average Joe chooses you and now you can finally feel good about yourself. And like that's the mm-hmm. thing that matters most. So if you teach women that and they hear that for 20, 30, 40 years, like, of course, they are going to be just crazed, right, by the desire for validation and by that insecurity. And so I think the thing, like, if I had to boil it down in one sentence, the thing that fucks most people up in dating is that they make, they take dating personally. They take other people's behavior and they filter it through their story about themselves that they're already worried is true. And then they make it match, Mm. right? So they make it mean something about them. Um and that's the I would say that that's the biggest thing, and then that ends up reproducing their problem, both because they kind of seek out people who confirm those patterns and because they take like a passive role. I mean, I love the title of this podcast because 
Like people will come to me and be like, I just don't know. I've been dating so much. I can't find anyone. I'll be like, how many first dates did you go on last year? And they'll be like, five. You know? <laughs> it's just like, you can't. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like you can't go on five dates and like be like mad that your soulmate hasn't shown up yet. Like yeah. you got to take some responsibility for this process and take the action that's going to be required. Right? So that's why I love the title of this podcast. I was like, yeah, 51 is a good start. <laughs> right, like it, what you got, you got there faster. But if you were my client, I'd be like, okay, you got to fifty-one. Maybe it's a hundred. I don't know. We just got to keep going. But the reason people can't is because they take it personally, and that's why it's so painful for them. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like we've said this before, but I think that the biggest thing Kimmy found on her journey was that like going on a lot of dates helped her to understand that it it wasn't about her no. like it, it helped her clear that filter right. and be like oh it's about if i like someone <laughs> like yeah yeah i think uh i feel like i my therapist actually recommended i go on like 100 dates yeah. i was kind of like your clients mm-hmm. like oh dating is so hard um but i think the numbers game wasn't even even if i was still dating now which honestly would have been easier for the podcast like mm-hmm. as we grew like <laughs> la dating it wouldn't be easier for me necessarily but it would have been you know, very cool to keep doing. I think like I still would feel like even before I met someone, I started feeling differently about what a date was while before it was what you were speaking to. It was, let's see confirmation bias. Like can I confirm what I believe about myself? The story I've told myself, the story I know I'm telling myself, but still can't shake. Mm -hmm. Like, can I, can I not do that anymore? And I stopped doing that pretty, not pretty early on, but like I don't know. I want to say like 15 to 20 dates in, Mm -hmm. like when I go back and listen, like the early dates, like they weren't all magical, but I was beating myself up afterwards. Mm -hmm. Even if it wasn't like crazy sparks, I was like, well, I didn't get the second date ask. So it means this, like I was really using kind of the numbers game and the tally in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. That just rings really true for me. And like, that's where, yeah, you don't have to like, like going on a 10 dates does not mean you're automatically going to meet someone. But if it can reframe the way you think about it, or if it can reframe the way I think about it, which it did, then I think it opened me up, if that makes sense. Totally. I mean, I always, my clients are acting like a first date is a, like an Olympic, it's like an Olympic trial for their worthiness. Like what is the, what's like, what placard is the judge going to hold up? And the judge is like some dude you met on Tinder three days ago. You don't know anything about, but now he's in charge of all of your feelings about yourself. Right. And like, that's mm-hmm. craziness, wildness. <laughs> like you can't, and that's why people find dating so exhausting, right? Like if dating is yeah. just like snacks and conversation to see if you want to hang out with someone again, which is what I tell my clients to think of it as, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. It is certainly exhausting if every time you go on a date, you are going to run through a litany of self-criticism, take everything personally, make everything mean you're going to be alone forever. Like, yeah, that is exhausting. And frankly, it has nothing to do with that guy. He could be anyone. You do this mm-hmm. on every date, totally. right? And, like, you don't even know who's there because you're so in your own head about it. Yeah, and I feel like for a while, at the, in the beginning of this experiment, Kimmy wasn't giving herself room to, like, just not like someone mm-hmm. or not be interested in yeah. them romantically because it was, like, yeah, it was – you were seeing people as a reflection of – Right, you can't – if what you care about – if you are telling yourself that if you don't get, like, the second date or the third date or whatever, you're not – good enough and you're never going to find love and no one will ever like you, you can't even think about whether you like them. It's like oh, not yeah. even that question. You're just <laughs> trying to get the approval. I used to talk about it as like you're using you're using somebody else as like an emotional vending machine, like a validation vending <laughs> machine, right? So you're just like 
where are my Cheetos? Where's my validation? Like, you can't even tell if you like the other person. It was literally all I did until I was, like, 24. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> like, if you stopped yeah. at 24, that's early. I mean, you it was, like, great. therapy. The, 24 was maybe when I started to stop. <laughs> and still, I'm still having moments where I'm, yeah, like... Yeah, we all do that. We're taught to do that. Yeah. yeah. I'm also having a, moment, having a moment where I remember when I first started therapy being, like... It wasn't, it was literally because our Liza and my acting teacher way back when we were 22 year old babies was like, you should go to therapy. So I was very like worried to my therapist about, is this like self-centered? Like I didn't even grow up in a house that was weird about therapy. I just had never been. And I was like, is this really like, um, self-obsessed of me to do when there's nothing I really am working on, but really like, it was really self-obsessed for me to be thinking like, and doing a lot of the other things that I did in, really? a, in an insecure place in my life. For example, going on a date and actually not paying that much attention to the other person because I was just worried about whether they yeah. liked me or things like that. Like, it's just funny. I just had this moment where I was like, therapy is like the least selfish thing right. you can do because it benefits you and the world. <laughs> totally. I just did a podcast episode about this. It's like one of the misconceptions about coaching or working on yourself is that it's selfish and self-centered. I'm like, you know what's self-centered? When you hate yourself and all you do is thinking about – what did I say in that meeting? And what does that person think of me? And do I look fat today? And why do my pants fit? And what did my mother think of me? Like that is self. Totally. Mm-hmm. Not in a moral way, self-centered, but just like people who hate themselves spend way more time thinking about themselves than people who love themselves. Totally. And right. putting a lot of burden, I don't know if burden is the right word, but putting a lot of that responsibility on the people around them. Totally. Which it's not up to them. And just like you said, like a gold star from anyone. It doesn't work. It doesn't do it. We anything. just keep going back to the vending machine being like, I don't know, I just ate, but I'm hungry again. Right? Like, yeah, it's yeah. just like, it never, and you want so badly to get that validation. And then what I see sometimes with clients in the beginning before we really like solved it is like, they're going for the validation, the guy goes for it, wants to date them, and then they're not interested. Right? Because it yeah. wasn't about him. They just wanted the validation. But they're stuck in that Groucho Marx problem of like, don't want to be a member of any club that would have them. <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. the minute a guy likes them, he's immediately like, well, there must be something wrong with him. Like, he doesn't count. I don't get my hit anymore. This isn't a good fix. Now I need like a new one. Right. So let's say like a listener right now is really relating to what we're talking about Mm -hmm. and what you're speaking to kind of more specifically about dating and they have a date lined up sometime this week. Are there any like, I'm kind of putting you on the spot with this. Like what are some of the kind of like actionable steps or like um, ways you could just start in baby ways? Like Mm -hmm. obviously coaching would be ideal to think about that next date. Like what might you recommend? Yeah. Other than go listen to my podcast. Um, (laughs) Yes, that's true. (laughs) I mean, even if you, you don't have to hire a coach to do this and I teach people how to do this in my podcast, but what you want to do is become aware of what your thoughts are and see if those are the thoughts you want to think about this. Most of us don't even pay any attention to what we're thinking. We just, mm-hmm. like, assume it's all true up there and, like, carry on, right? And so I was, like, write down everything you're thinking about this date and then look at those thoughts and see, like, do I want to be thinking this, right? Do I want to think, like, do I want to go on this date with the thought, I hope he likes me, I hope he doesn't think I'm fat, I hope somebody proves that I'm worthy of love, right? Like, is that the mindset yeah. you want to be in? Or do you want to try to make it, like, with my clients, I do tell them, like, think about it like snacks and conversation. That's all a date is. You're just going to have a conversation and see if you want to have another conversation mm, and then yeah. see if you want to have a third conversation. That's really all it is like this without this like huge amount of pressure, but really mm-hmm. honestly, like whether you do it on your own or with a coach, it is sustained work. Like you can't do it in one week for the next date, all of it, because it's truly about building up your own self-confidence and your own, you know, I mean, self-love, which is such a, like everybody wants to be about self-love now, but like, let's just start with self like neutrality. 
Most of us are so far over here in self-loathing, right? So, like, even just, like, creating, like, some self-acceptance before you even get to self-love. That's, like, all the dating work is about that, right? Because what we end up – what people end up doing is, like, it's like you abandon yourself in favor of some dude whose name last name you don't even know, right? Like, you become – so obsessed with what this person thinks of you who you barely know anything about and has real no importance in your life and who's not even thinking about what's going on, right? And I think it makes women feel crazy because they're like, why can't I stop thinking about this? I'm like upset. Like they know rationally. They don't even know the guy's last name and they just met him on Tinder last week and they know it shouldn't be so important. But what they're missing is it's so important because of what they're making it mean about themselves. So that's the work you have to do. When you clean up that work, then you just see it for what it is. Like now, you know, I mean, I have a partner now, but when, after I'd done this work when I was dating, it was just a totally different world. It was like, somebody was interested. Great. If they weren't, they weren't right. When I started this work, the idea that I could not care if somebody rejected me was like, that seemed impossible. Mm-hmm. Right. That was like, rejection was like death. <laughs> that was not. Yeah. And you know, by the end it was like, Oh yeah, well, that person didn't want to go with me. Yet. Okay. Who's next? Like totally chill. That's the journey. Yeah. It's so interesting how similarly I felt feel to what you were just describing. I, there's a lot more work I have to do. Like there's so much more insecurity left (laughs) in my life. Um, but interesting that like, I felt the same way. I went from like rejection is death Mm -hmm. to a very different mindset when it came to going on a date. And you mentioned like, then this is a specific question a listener asked, mm-hmm. and it might just be, you know, more of the same, but like, um, about feeling uncomfortable about your body mm-hmm. or what someone might think of your body on a first date that a listener yeah. specifically asked that, um, for this week. And I mean, yeah. Do you have any thoughts? I mean, for well, me, it feels like it definitely falls under everything you've said, but just more specifically. Yeah. My thought about that is, um, with the internet, any man you want to date with has looked at the bodies of women clothed and naked 10 million times. So if he met you in person or he saw your photos online, then he has already imagined what your body looks like and he's into it. Such a good point. Yes. Right? Because yes. like, I used to yeah. do that because I – your listeners can't see, but I am a plus-size woman. And I used to have this insane thought that was like, but then they'll see I'm fat. And then I finally was like, wait, a 35-year-old man who lives in New York City with access to the internet probably has watched porn of fat women. If he's into fat women, he probably knows what my body looks like. Right? Like – So as long as you, I mean, yeah, you should be worried if you put up photos that are massively different than what you look like, right? -hmm. Which is also this crazy thing people do where they're like, I'll put up these photos that don't really look like me. This is how we replicate these problems, right? We're like, I believe my body's unacceptable. So I put up photos that don't look like me so that I can create the experience of going on dates and people not liking my body because I didn't show it to them. Right? Right. If you show people what you look like, like men spend a lot of time thinking, well, not everybody's dating men, but anyone, women too. If they saw what you look like, they know what your body looks like. They've seen bodies that look like yours. They know what's coming. And if by chance you take home someone who's like, oh, well, I thought you had a breast job and I don't like anyone who has, I mean, like it's such a bullet dodged. Like it's not like something to be upset about. That's such a good point. Yeah. And I feel like I just like, I, think I represented myself pretty honestly on dating apps. But I, I remember having moments, Liza, to you, like where I was like, did I like accidentally catfish or like, I just like, it's really easy to go to the looks thing. if like a date doesn't work out. And again, but you, you explained it perfectly. Like it's another way to like beat yourself mm-hmm. into the same old thought pattern. Totally. And, and you'll notice that your, whatever your brain's thing is that you think people don't like about you, 
magically, that's always the thing that's the problem in your brain. Like, right? Like, if 10 people don't mm. want to go out with you again, my brain would be like, oh, it's because you're fat. And your brain would be like, oh, it's because I don't like, you know, the, I, this eyebrow I have, I don't like. Whatever mm-hmm. your thing is that you're obsessed with about yourself and criticize yourself about, you just magically think that's the whole reason that nobody, that everybody else would make that decision. Yeah. Totally. Oh, when, absolutely. when you really have no idea, it could be like you remind him of his third grade teacher or he's in love with his ex or he got hit by a bus. <laughs> like, you have no idea. Yeah. 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 Totally. Such a good point. It's and really actually helpful. speaking of exes, so another listener <laughs> question we had um, was just about exactly that. How do you deal with comparing yourself to someone's ex? Mm-hmm. Which I think, yeah, we, we've, t- we've touched on this, which is that, yeah, it's, but, you know, still. Yeah, well, look, my client, I always say to my clients, I'm only ever telling you one thing, which is your thoughts <laughs> cause your feelings. I'm just telling you in a hundred million different ways until it sinks in. Yeah, I mean, if you're comparing yourself to your to someone's ex, it's a perfect example. You're totally going to only look at the thing that you've decided is the problem, right? So if you think your weight is the problem, then like when you compare yourself to someone's ex, you're just looking at their weight and thinking about your weight. You're not even thinking about all the other things that could be going on or the ways you might be, I don't, I mean, better isn't the right word in this context, but just like things you might possess that they don't. Like your brain is just like a homing pigeon to its like thing that it hates about itself that it's looking for evidence of. Um I think that when people get obsessed with looking at somebody else's ex, is the question like they've broken up and it's the new person or it's the person's other – they're with the person, it's that person's exes? Yes. The, their current person's exes. Ex. Yeah. Yes. I think it's just like a beautiful example of like if you don't manage your mind, how much it will bend over backwards to torture you. Like mm-hmm. this person – they're no longer with that person. They're with you. And instead of enjoying your relationship, you are spending time worrying – about whether the person they're no longer with is prettier than you, right? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and it's like this weird, I think this example is going to seem relevant. We'll see. So when I'm teaching women about body image, one of the things I talk about is like, you can feel great about yourself on the beach. And then if a supermodel walks by, suddenly you feel shitty about yourself. The supermodel existed before, <laughs> right? The, yeah. She was already around. She just wasn't in front of you. So you weren't comparing yourself to her. And I think kind of the same thing happens with the exes, right? It's like if you're, you know, if you think like, I don't know, what are people, people are usually upset about like someone being, like there's a million models in the world who are conventionally more attractive than you probably. It doesn't, you don't mostly walk around being agonizing over it. But then when you have this one particular person to fixate on, you sort of are constantly comparing yourself. Totally. Or like success. Like I feel like I've had, I've had issues with like, people I'm dating having really successful exes mm. and it's a particular insecurity of mine. Like, yeah. I have a very non-traditional It's career. just a it's mirror to measure for you. success for me. Totally. Like it's something that it's very clear that like, that's the reason I hang my head on that. Yeah. You know, it's just a mirror for you of whatever work you need to do for yourself. Yeah. They're not with the person. So, I mean, I just don't think it's useful to think about your ex's new partners either, but it's definitely not right. Like, Thinking about somebody who's chosen to be with you now and what the last person who they're no longer with is like is like totally yeah. just a way to be. It's like a creative way to be yourself. Totally. Up. Yeah, it's so, very creative. Yeah. And I, I'm saying that as one who's done that and yeah. continues to do that because it's, you know, you know, because even when things are working out with someone, you can find a way to make yourself. Well, that's yeah. why you have to manage your mind because you think, oh, well, once I get a boyfriend, then I'm going to feel secure. So then you get a boyfriend and suddenly you're like, well... His ex from third grade, she looks like she's a one in Emmy or like whatever, right? So you have to manage your mind on purpose and not like 
that's what happens when you just assume, okay, well, as soon as I get this thing, then I'll feel good. Yeah. Your brain, if you don't change those thoughts, your brain will just find something else to use. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good point. Because I feel like I was like single forever and ever. And it, yeah, being, I really like the person I'm dating, you know, like I really care for him and he's really great. It's not that I feel better because I have a boyfriend. I don't feel any better about those things. Those things are still so real. Like my body stuff, my security, all my complexes, because I have a lot of them. They're all still there. And yeah, I'm actually like, I would, it would be scary. I know some people can like for a minute, fix themselves by being with someone. Like that would be scary for me if I suddenly felt, no, it doesn't. And I've like seen that not work out for people. And I like, that's another, yeah. So while I'm still beating myself up or like, can relate to that listener. Yeah. Well, I think we're sold this bill of goods, right? I mean, women are taught that falling in love and having male validation is going to be this transformative experience. And so this is the other thing I see with my clients a lot too, is like, I'm always I'm like, listen, I have a partner. I'm still just, it's just, there's just another person who's around a lot. It's nice, but it's not another, it's like they think like the world, it's like a black and white film turned to color. Like the world becomes technicolor and then there's a unicorn and you live in a whole other dimension now, right? Like it's like, that's what people, when you're fixated on getting a partner for validation, that's what you think it's going to be like. And it's like, really not. You're still you. You still have all your same shit. There's like, mm-hmm. it's nice to have regular orgasms and snuggling, but it's like not, <laughs> right? It's it's not like all of a sudden your life is in technicolor. You're on acid. It's a totally different totally. dimension. You live in a different universe. Like if so, everybody around you with partners would be gleefully skipping down the street, being happy all the time. And if you notice, they're not. They still have their own shit and their own problems. Totally. And I think funnily enough, I'm realizing in this conversation, like the way that my boyfriend makes me feel better about things is by being like Liza why do you think that like, you, like yeah he's like coaching like, you. it's not him being like <laughs> right. no you're not you're perfect you're this right. yeah it's it's him being like why are you telling yourself this it's bullshit and it's you know it's like which is shit I you anyone can also do for themselves right and but I, I love that because to. it's like because I do teach that other people don't cause our feelings so like when your partner's helping you, it's because he's basically like unofficially coaching you to yeah. be like, you're thinking this. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to. Yeah. You could think this like, other thing. You're whack. Hop off the train. Right. But it's second. not because he can make you feel any given way. Yeah, right. Totally. And I just think about like <laughs> when I was doing this work on myself, one of the thoughts I had all the time was, I forget who it was. It was like some supermodel. Now I use Beyonce with my clients, but I'm like, even Beyonce got cheated on. Right. Like it doesn't yeah. matter how beautiful you are or how successful you are or how talented you are or how in love with you someone it like there's mm-hmm. no human life that does not involve suffering that's just part of the human condition and there is no one who's perfect enough that this shit doesn't happen mm. right yeah that's i almost like feel like i've seen some or i've heard people be like you know even beyonce's life isn't perfect but right. that just really resonated with me when you just said that it's true like not that i'm happy she got cheated right. on but it like, like she says at the top of the pyramid of women. Yeah. Right. Because women so, are like, oh, it happened to me because like, oh, I'm not. I should have lost the I'm baby best. weight faster. Like, whatever. It's like, no. You could look like Beyonce like, and have that many Grammy. Like, it happens to everyone. I think what I was yeah. doing was like Christy Brinkley. Some supermodel had been cheated on recently. It was in the news. Yeah. That's the person yeah. that I used. But like, because it's so easy. We all just drink the Kool-Aid that we're taught, which is like conventional attractiveness will get you male validation and then you'll be happy forever. And yeah, that's not yeah, how it works. Totally. Uh, 
That Kool-Aid is so powerful. So and I just powerful. hope it becomes less powerful for like younger generations because Well yeah, that's that why I think to me yeah. managing like I like I said I've been a professional feminist for my whole life, but to me the work I do now is like the most powerful. Even though I did like abortion rights work, I did a lot of different kinds of work, mm-hmm. like the true liberation is inside your own brain. And there's no way to do that without changing your thoughts. Like the only way I mean we can try to change society, but it's gonna take a while. And we're going to be better at it if we manage our own mind. So to me, like, learning how to undo that socialization in your own head, like, that is the true liberation. Like, that's the revolution. Dude, fuck Mm -hmm. yeah. That's incredible. And I think so important because we, you know, in a lot of ways, women are achieving, like, all these different milestones and, like, also having shit taken away from us. But, you know. (laughs) We'll see how the next 18 months go. I mean, yeah, I'm terrified. But, like, progress is not a straight line, but we have come a long way. But I do think this is the next frontier is, like, how do we make our thinking patterns, like, this? how do we make that an equal playing field? Right. And there's so much feminist Mm -hmm. energy. I'm going to totally get shit for this. But there's so much feminist energy right now that's, like, the way we fix this is, yell at everybody who's around still not doing it the way we want which i just like especially in online feminist spaces i just feel like like use some of that energy like to change we can't control other people like yes i think we can move society over time and certainly if you have kids you can try to raise them a certain way but like you know yelling at your boyfriend is not gonna change his mind or how you feel like Mm -hmm. change your own mind liberate yourself and then it doesn't fucking matter like, you are going to be in a better position to deal with structural inequalities if you are managing your own mind. It's a lot harder to try to make control other people's brains. Totally. And people are drawn to that energy. Like, people like people who walk through life confidently – it's that big dick energy thing. That's right. <laughs> you know, people yeah. who walk through life confidently just attract good things to them, good people to them, like – the right partners, the right jobs, the mm-hmm. right, like, all that shit. But they may, and they may still get cheated on, because, listen, the Buddhists are right. Like, suffering happens to everybody. Totally. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Because I see women use that almost against themselves. You know, it's like, oh, well, if I just had done enough thought work and I was confident enough, then this wouldn't have happened. It's like, you can't, con- you can control yourself, and you can control the results you create in your own life. Yeah. And, like, there's always going to be speed bumps. The question is, how do you deal with them? Do you make them mean something about you? Mm. Or do you just... Like, rise again and keep going. Totally. Mm-hmm. So just, like, as a way to wrap up, what – if there's people out there, they're going on first dates. Yeah. They are, like – we have a lot of listeners who have not been big daters and they're, like, dipping their toes in the uh, water. Okay. They're going out. They're going to their first date. They've written down their negative mm-hmm. thoughts. Like they're, they're trying to shed some of those insecurities. Mm-hmm. What's, like, the first step towards getting your brain in that – place that you want it to be unfucked (laughs) (laughs) i I mean honestly i know this isn't like that pithy but awareness is the first step i mean this is why meditation works for people is that even just by itself over time awareness will shift your thoughts i was like i can't spend 20 years doing this i want to do this faster so (laughs) coaching is like much more of an active (laughs) intervention in changing your thoughts but just even i think it's too much to say to someone like oh you like hate your thighs. You think no one will ever love you. You're scared to date. Like, so just love yourself on this first date. Like, you're not going to be there yet. Yeah. I think <laughs> no. even just starting with a really neutral thought, like, the outcome of this date doesn't determine my worth. Or, like, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I'm open to believing that what I think about myself matters more than what this guy thinks about myself, uh, thinks about me. 
Mm -hmm. or I'm going to try to focus on whether I like this person or what would I, how would I approach this if I did think I was going to, if I knew I was going to find my perfect partner, how would I approach this date? So I like, I talk, I mean, if your listeners go back and listen to my podcast, I teach a concept called the thought ladder, which is like to help you get to neutral thoughts before you get to positive ones. If I were organized, I would know the episode number, but I don't. <laughs> but I think that we'll we'll find it in link. I think the episode is called "How to Think New Thoughts" or something, um, or or something. Who knows what I do? Uh, but we'll like put it in the description. <laughs> yeah. People listening. We'll so I think that's probably where I would start. And I think I mean I think the reason that the fifty-one dates work so well is like in the absence of thought work. Volume is actually useful because it does some of that work for you because you just go on enough that you're like, all right, that one didn't work out. There's another one. That one didn't work out. There's another one. Like you just, Mm -hmm. it stops. It just can't be such a big deal. You can't get yourself so worked up if you're going on one or two first dates a week. So yeah. Yeah. That exposure thing too, you know? Yeah. Like taking massive action. Right. I mean, I think the other thing, one of the ways I think it's really helpful for people to try to think about dating that you can practice now is like. Um, take an area of your life where you just do what needs to happen to get something done. Like if it's work, if you're a marathon runner, if you're like whatever, there's some area of your life where you're like, I just do what I need to do to get the result I need. That's yeah. what your dating life needs to be like too. Like you want a partner, you just got to keep taking action until you get one as opposed to making it like if you don't have a partner, all that means is you haven't taken the actions you need to get a partner. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean you're unworthy. It doesn't mean there's no one to love you. It doesn't mean your town is too small. It doesn't mean online dating sucks. It doesn't mean men are terrible. It means you have not taken the actions yet to get the result you want. And when you turn it more into like a project like that, it takes some of the moral and worth stuff out of it. Hmm. I, I feel like I should, we should have talked to you at the beginning when I was so insecure about this project because you're saying everything that I just experienced is true. I was on who was like, it's never going to happen for me. I you know, be alone forever, unlovable, everything. I wasn't, I was staying in half relationships too long. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going on dates. I would go on, you know, five in a year, kind of like you mentioned earlier. And then obviously, even if I was like doing the, the, the good thoughts or thinking positively about myself, one bad thing and it was all over. Right. So that like, it's just such good advice. And I, some of our listeners have started doing experiments of their own, but like make it a project. Like that's the only reason because then you have, you keep going on the dates too, and you can't put pressure on if it does work out. Like Start this was, a podcast. yeah, right. And you don't make it Start mean anything. Like if you know, like if I could tell you, listen, you got to go on 125 first dates to meet your person. You're not going to get to them before that. You just got to go on 125. You would just fucking do it, right? It wouldn't be such a yeah. drama. You would just be like, all right, that was date seven. I got to find an eighth person now. I'm not allowed to get my partner until I get to 125. So I just got to keep <laughs> yeah. doing it, right? It's all about your mindset and what you're making the process mean. Yeah, because I was really trying to get to 51. I made it to 32, right. and I met him at 13. And that's so, what like, happens. I really right. pushed it, you know? And then I was like, now it's time to, you know, really make a decision. But yeah, that's such, it's so, it's great that you're confirming what I now believe, but like, it really <laughs> no, is. I love that you were you're able so to figure smart. that out through the actions, right? I mean, I do yeah. think in the absence of anything else, committing to a number and just, <laughs> I have someone in my program right now. I told her she's got to go on like, 
10 dates by the end of the program. And then she just like found a boyfriend. Like, I think she just like didn't want to go on the date. That's hilarious. <laughs> she got on like one date in the past year. And I was like, all right, we got two months left. You're going on 10. And then like by the next week, she was like, okay, I went on a first date. We're already going on a second date. Does that count? Like, she just like didn't want to do it. Oh my God. She was like, oh, I'm already dating. I, I fixed it. I solved it. Yeah. But it's because her thought, the thought process trade was like, oh, all right, I've just got to do what needs to be done to get it. I might as well just get it now as opposed to using it as a green screen for all of my self-inflicted trauma. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. like basically like super exposing yourself to things that make you uncomfortable are a way of mm-hmm. like very tangibly doing the kind of mental work that you're used to doing because yeah. the more times you do those things, the more times you feel those feelings of discomfort and have to dispel them. Like I felt right. this way with stand up mm-hmm. or whenever we screen mm-hmm. any videos we make where like, it's a surge of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then every time you feel that surge, you're like, well, yeah. I have to move forward because I'm already here. I like have to, like, I know this will pass because it always, does. like, there, right. you know, there are these ways that like your body and that adrenaline, like you can yeah. be willing to have it. it. Yeah. Uh, factor it. Yeah. Right Stand up is such a good example. Isa. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like that, when you were saying that earlier, it's similar. Like, cause you're going to, and you can have bad nights and have the right. bad feelings or you can like have like someone you met and it doesn't work out with. And it doesn't mean you're oh, like, totally. I quit it all. You, know, you can was. be sad for a night. You can be happy for a night. Like I was leaving the show. I had to bum a cigarette from a stranger and I was talking to this stranger and was like, I'm never doing comedy again. I'm quitting tonight. <laughs> and like, no, I needed to go home and take a nap. Yeah, cry it out. And, and then, then just fucking do it yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It was something I was thinking about the like doing the 50 going. Oh, this is what it is. I think also when you go on a lot of dates, what you start to when you think about your own romantic history, right? If your story is like nobody ever loves me, it never works out. You filter out all the people who did like you that you didn't like. It's like they don't count, right? <laughs> oh my god, I was always telling Kimmy, I was like, dude, if you wanted to have a boyfriend, you could have oh, a boyfriend. Yes. Like, I you- say this to my clients all the time. If your main goal in life is being married, you'd be married by now. Yeah. Right? Like, so it's yeah. true for all of us. So one of the things that I like about like going on a whole bunch of dates at once is like, it's just more new. You just start to see all the data together of like, oh, right. Often I go on a date and I like the person they don't like me. And often I go on a date and they like me and I don't like them. And we're just trying to get to that date where we both have the same opinion about it. Like, mm-hmm. it's like musical chairs, except there's enough chairs for everyone. But like, <laughs> right, yeah, like, yeah. that's what we're trying to get to. And when you think about it like that, it's like, yeah, it's just math. I just got to go on enough. Eventually, we're going to be on the same page. So I think it's another yeah. benefit of the of that because so like women come to me and be like, well, I've just never had a real boyfriend. And I'm like, okay, tell me your relationship history. And they're like, well, I dated this guy for five years when I was in college <laughs> and then I lived with this guy. You know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? But because that's their story, they've just yeah. like completely filtered it all out yeah. somehow. Brains yeah. are cre- yeah. really powerful. They are really powerful. Yeah. It's it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot there. Okay. I want to get really specific, Cara, about where all of our listeners can find, okay. obviously, your podcast, but everything. I want them to go on your site. I think there's a lot that they're going to be looking for in the immediate future to, mm-hmm. like, start practicing these things. So I feel fucking wrapped um, up right, right now. I'm, I'm like, I want to... I want to... Me too. I want to manage my mind. My I want to yeah, do this. Totally. I want to unfuck my brain because my brain is already fucked just being in business school because I feel like such an imposter. Like, there's all... Like, I'm just like... This was so helpful. All right. Thank here's you. your first piece of free coaching. Are you ready? Yes. I'm an imposter is not a feeling, it's a thought. Hmm. So we do this thing in English where we say, I feel, and then we just put a long string of thoughts. Like, I feel like if my husband respected me, he would take out the trash and remember my anniversary. None of that is a feeling, it's Hmm. a thought. 
And the reason that's important is you can't change a feeling once it's happening, but you can change a thought. A thought is optional. Oh, mind blown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just notice how often you're saying, I feel like an imposter. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I'm this. None of those are feelings. Those are all thoughts. Totally. Especially because women are so often, I think, taught to express our feelings, which mm-hmm. is great, but also to to apologize for what we want by contextualizing it as a feeling. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, and- I just feel like you're not listening. It's like, no, I want you to listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and express your feelings. You're not expressing your feelings. You're expressing your thoughts. Yeah. My feelings would be like, I feel sad. I feel anxious. Right. I feel angry. I feel like an imposter because all these other people have already worked at Goldman Sachs and I have, that's a thought. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's the, the thought. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thought. It's yeah. almost like I've done this before. And differentiating <laughs> <Yeah>. between, <laughs> what? differentiating between thoughts and feelings is actually a big, important first step. So there you go. Practice yeah. that. That's your first oh. assignment. I love it. Yay. Thank you. Um, where can people find more of this? Uh, the yes. podcast is called Unfuck Your Brain. There's an asterisk instead of the second you. Yeah. You can also just find my name probably on the show notes and search that. Unfuckyourbrain.com. It's U-N-F-C-K, yourbrain.com. If you spell it out all the way, you will go to a website that forwards to someone called the Intimacy Doctor, and that is not me. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know who that is, and I should buy that website, but that's not me. So if you end up at the Intimacy Doctor, you've taken a wrong turn. <laughs> U-N-F-C-K, yourbrain.com. The podcast is everywhere. you got your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Android, whatever. And we'll link it in the the yeah. bo- the bottom the yeah. thing for this episode, yeah. the show notes. So I would say the main thing your listeners should do if they want to do some of this work is I have um, a free download that's called a confidence cheat sheet, but it actually is like a tiny ebook that makes it sound too overwhelming. It's like three written exercises that are actually really great that I use with my private clients. So they're the good stuff that usually people have to yeah. pay for. So if you go to it's um unfuck your brain unfckyourbrain.com forward slash cheat sheet and you'll it'll be linked mm-hmm. on the episode but that's a good way to like if this if this if listening to this has made you be like wait i think i should manage my mind that makes sense download that and try those exercises i'm going to i have to admit that i haven't <laughs> done that so i'm going to why well, there's no reason you would have yet <laughs> you didn't know about it but now you do um wow i feel very great I thank you Cara. <laughs> Dude, I want to go like throw a brick through a window. No, I'm right. just kidding. We're going to go something. and like vandalize yeah. the patriarchy after like, this episode. Like, just over. like, I don't know, do a bunch of shots or something. No, I don't know. Your boyfriend's going to come in. You're going to be like, I want to talk about feminist history. And he's going to be like, what happened? Like, damn it, I have again. a lot of thoughts. <laughs> lot of Sit thoughts down, shut yeah. up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank <pleasure>. you. <laughs> no. Thank this you. And thank great. you for bearing with our little technical oh, difficulties. Yeah, now, thank you, listeners, as well. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.